Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. We have a brother in this church that likes to remind us that this is the pulpit. This is not the pulpit in the Bible. Why did they have a pulpit in Nehemiah chapter 8? So that when the book was opened, everyone could see that he was opening the book of God. Amen. Now we've done it a little bit better, so I'm not ashamed of our two pulpits. Because you can see that we're opening the book, and because you are blessed more than the old church of Israel of the Old Testament, you have it in your laps, either in a printed form or an electronic form, and you can see the words of God. And so we want to read in this 16th chapter a few verses and give the sense and see if the Lord can't give us something from what looks like a chapter that might not have very much in it. And I'll tell you right off the bat how far we're going to get before we go home today. Two verses? No. Two words. It's twice as good as when I started this epistle in Romans 1 and we had to start out with the word Paul. I read five verses to you, four and a half, through 5a, where a sentence ends. Romans 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sencria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Amen and amen. This chapter is a postscript to the epistle to the Romans, as can easily be seen by looking at the ending of chapter 15 and by looking at the content of this 16th chapter. It's a postscript. It's not hard to believe that Paul loathed having to finish his epistle because he finishes it in chapter 15. Then he gives greetings for 16 verses down through Romans 16, 16. Then he has some more warnings for them about false teachers and false doctrine. Then he gives a, four, a few more salutations. And then he comes right back and has a three-verse benediction that is a glorious blessing as he wraps this up because Paul just loved his brethren. Right. And if you read it and think about the apostle writing it, he's about to close. No, I need to say some personal thing. No, I want to warn them about false teachers. No, I have some more people that I've thought of now that I want to mention Oh, and let me just bless them before we finish. And he closes out with his amen in the 27th verse of Romans 16. Brethren, it is a chapter like this that we prove whether we really believe and mean what we say when we say from Luke 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. Because when you get to Romans 16 and you start looking at that list of names, And all those different names that run down through there, is there anything to get out of this chapter? Well, we're going to make it two words. 
And this is no game with me, and it's never been a game to preach the Word of God. But I have come to this chapter, and I have humbled myself before the Lord, and I've told Him, I have opened my mouth so many times that I believe that man shall live by every word of God. Show me what you have in this chapter for me. And and He punished me yesterday in a wonderful way. Don't take that the wrong way. He punished me. I came running out of my office, and my poor wife had to behold a man out of his mind. I'm not going to be able to go beyond two words. I've prepared for five verses. If you saw the amount of material that I have for five verses, but there's two words, and I want us to go away today with those two words, and I don't want to dilute those two words by running into some other lessons that are here in these first five verses, and there are some very good lessons in the first five verses. When you approach a passage like this, pray and slow down, slow down when you read it, and ask the Lord to show you wonderful things. Psalm 119, verse 18, Open thou mine eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. I hope I can show you some in the next couple of weeks. The personal life and relationships of saints are related in this chapter for us as members to build a better church here. The personal relationships. Not their relationship to Christ. Not their relationship to their Lord. Their relationship among each other. Because that's why God has left us here. To have a church where we love one another. And the Apostle Paul just runs down through this string of names that every church then and every church since then has read those names and know that the mighty Apostle Paul loved them. Not that he loved Christ, that he loved them. This chapter isn't about the love of Christ. This chapter is about the love of the brethren. And if you don't have love of the brethren, your love of Christ is insufficient for God. And if you have love of Christ without love of the brethren, you're a liar. All of this according to 1 John chapters 3 through 5. Paul's praise of faithful and noble saints honors and magnifies faithfulness and nobility, not so much men. And it provokes men to want to be faithful and noble. The man exalted, and I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, the man exalted with apostleship, grace, knowledge, visions, and power above any other man of the New Testament, personally loved many, including women. This is real love. Real proof of the Holy Spirit. The real bond of charity. The real essence of Bible Christianity. Paul showed himself a very knowing man in the first 15 chapters, writing us so many wonderful things of doctrine. Here in chapter 16, he shows himself a very loving man. Praise God for the example that we have in the Word of God, our brother Paul, our beloved brother Paul. The chapter can be broken into four sections very easily. The first 16 verses are greetings and commendations to church members that are in Rome. Verses 17 through 20 is a warning of false doctrine and false teachers. Notice that it ends with an amen at the end of 20. Verses 21 through 24 are greetings from companions of Paul with him at Sencre and Corinth to those that are in Rome. And then verses 25 through 27 is a wonderful benediction and blessing from the apostle. And he just winds it all up and says in the last verse, To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And that's our that's our brother Paul and his love of the great God and his son Jesus Christ. I want to talk about commendations today. 
I want to talk about the doctrine of it. I want to talk about our practice of it. And I want us to be better at it. And I want to correct any extreme that any of you have by not properly understanding the relationship of God's people to each other. We want to be balanced Christians and we want to have a balanced church. And far beyond that, I want to have the best church that we can possibly give the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is by the inspiration of God that we have the mightiest apostle that there ever was reducing himself down to where he's thanking individual men and women for their friendship, their affection, their service, their faithfulness in Christ. And he mentions them and wants everyone in the world at that time and everyone in the world since to know, I love them. My beloved. My beloved. My beloved. My beloved. Do you know what it was like when this epistle was read in Rome? And those believers were sitting there and heard their name by the mighty apostle of the Gentiles, and I'm magnifying his office. And then that epistle was copied and copied and copied and translated, and there were copies of translations and translations of copies, and it was spread through the earth in that, con- in that same generation, and they all got to read these individual names. The mighty apostle Paul loved those individuals. And I want you women to know that out of the first three characters mentioned in Romans 16, two of them are women. I want to stir you women up that you can be great in the kingdom of heaven serving others and serving the church in roles and opportunities that God allows you. And we're going to come to that at another time because remember, I'm limited to two words today. Because we're going to get to Priscilla and Aquila. We're going to get to her business. We're going to get to her assistance. About Phoebe, I'm saying. We're not even going to get to Phoebe. We're just going to get to commend. You may think that I'm crazy or I'm extreme, but I believe every word of God. Amen. And when it says command, and I know, I know that there are people even in this assembly that don't like men being praised, I'm going to preach it long and loud right now. Amen. Not too long, but it will be loud. Because I want you to be balanced Christians. Right. I want you to be great fathers. I want you to be great husbands. I want you to be great mothers. Children. Citizens. Masters, church members, and we have got to learn how to commend like the Apostle Paul. It is not carnal. It is not earthly. It is not worldly. It is not wrong. It is not weak. It is not costing Christ. Christ expects us to love one another. God sent Jesus Christ to save us that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. He is not the only brother. Jesus Christ without us is nothing. We are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all, if you read the whole Bible. Jesus Christ was made of a woman, made under the law to do something. To redeem. And without the redeemed family of God, He is nothing because He did nothing. If He didn't redeem us to God by His blood, then He didn't accomplish anything. But He has accomplished something great. He has saved all of us, and He, by His sovereign power and rulership over the universe, has put us in bodies together over the whole earth. He has personally chosen the members of this body and brought them together and has welded them together and molded them together by His Spirit. He is the head of this church. We are the members of the body. There is one Spirit motivating all of us, and it is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God. 
I want you to grab the importance of us being a church that pleases Him. And that is a church that is happy with each other. That is a church that loves each other. I am so thankful without anyone knowing what I was going to stop on today, we have already had men in this pulpit name names. You do not know how gratified I was. Now one was being so discreet because he did communicate with me. And so he was very discreet. But he was talking about Scott Collins, in case anyone didn't know. He is a very obedient, respectful, honoring young man to his pastor. Because when commendations go upward, they had better be done very carefully, or they come off self-serving or as flattery. One of the rules I want to give. The best praise and the best commendations go downward. And so everyone that is older in this church should be better at giving praise than those that are younger because it should be directed downward. This is the mighty Apostle Paul reaching downward. All these that he mentions here are less than him in the kingdom of heaven. Though he would say, if he heard things like that too much, he would say, I am less than the least of all saints. I'm the chief of sinners. But when pushed... He would say, I'm not a whit behind the very chiefest of the apostles. And I labored more abundantly than they all. I am so thankful. I'm so thankful. Joshua Unger, we heard a name. We heard a name today. Jerry, thank you for being a name dropper. Zach Pipkin, we heard your name. Colin, we heard your name. I'm thankful for some names. Jerry's older than all three of you. Is flowing downhill. Sorry to tell you that, brother. I commend unto you. Brethren, I want us to have a balance. I don't want any church to come past us in honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't want any church to come past us in properly commending and encouraging and praising faithful, noble brothers and sisters that serve the Lord because the Apostle Paul did it. And so see if we can't learn a few things. There's a crown to every road, and there's two ditches to every road, and God hates all ditches, and He hates both ditches. He doesn't want us praising men too much, and He doesn't want us neglecting the praise of men. We want to do both. We don't want to turn to the right hand or the left hand on anything that we glean from Scripture. There is a foolish and destructive extreme that contradicts and opposes commending mere men. Well, they're mere men, but they're the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you ashamed of them since He isn't ashamed of them? Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call them brethren. Why are you ashamed of them if you don't want to praise them and rejoice in them? You say, I'm already getting nervous by you calling Paul mighty so many times. Oh, he labored more abundantly than they all. Look what he accomplished. You say, he, the Lord did it all. No, the Lord didn't do it all. That's the problem with you. You are very confused about grace and works. You're a fatalist. I hope you'll get over it. I love you. I hope you'll get over it. This is the greatest apostle under the full inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing us this 16th chapter in the most doctrinal book of the New Testament. And look what he does. It's so personal. Let us learn three things. Praise is good and right. Let's not be in error on this point. Praise and commending others is good and right. Second, 
to praise more than we have before. Third, let us apply ourselves so that we can earn the praise of men. Now, is all that scriptural? Is it right for us to apply ourselves so that we can earn the praise of men? Absolutely. If you haven't earned the praise of men, you are a very deficient Christian. That's why Joseph gets so much praise. That's why Daniel gets so much praise. That's why Paul gets so much praise. Because they weren't deficient Christians. They were energetic, sold out, red hot, zealous Christians. And so they got the praise and commendation of men. Not the praise that belongs to God. The praise that belongs to men. Jesus always is the preeminent brother. But he has brothers. And we don't want to neglect that fact. We're a body of brothers. The Lord Jesus Christ being the firstborn of this body. Praising others requires considering them so that you can see something in their life that deserves commendation. It requires measuring their actions, esteeming them so that you want to do that. If you despise somebody, it's very hard to to praise them or commend them. To commend others requires the humility to give it, the wisdom to give it right and best, and the affection to give it fervently and sincerely. Commending and praising someone correctly takes quite a few things, and I hope by God's grace you can learn it. I am obsessed that we have the best church for the glory of God and the profit of many. I don't care how big it is. I just want it to be the best. We live in the perilous times of the last days. It's not going to be very big. But we can make it the best. And we make it the best by finding the crown of the road on every single point of doctrine and practice that the Bible teaches us. We do not want to veer from that crown toward either ditch on either side. And when it comes to this chapter, the second word is very important, especially for the first 16 verses. I commend. Thank you, Paul, the great apostle. There's never been a man more spiritual than Paul. There's never been a man more scriptural than Paul. There's never been a man more inspired than Paul. And he said, I commend unto you Phoebe. A woman. I praise her. I tell you to accept her. I tell you to honor her. I tell you to accept her. She is special. She is unusual. She deserves your affection. She deserves your honor. She deserves your assistance to help her in whatsoever business she hath. She has been a succor of many. She has served the kingdom of heaven very importantly. She has been a sucker of me. You say, that's a lot to say about a woman when you're writing an epistle that every single believer in the Roman Empire is going to read and then everyone's going to read about Phoebe for for 2,000 years since. That's why we're stopping with the second word. It must be pretty important. Or why would this even be here? Could, uh, Could Tertius, see he's in verse 22. Tertius wrote this down. Paul sat there and dictated it to him. Tertius wrote it down according to verse 22. Could they have stopped at uh, chapter 15 and then had another piece of paper that had all these salutations on? I think some of you think that there should be a second piece of paper where there's some salutations to people because it's not important enough to be in the Bible. Now this is the Roman epistle and it's important enough to be in the Roman epistle. I'm not angry at anyone. I told you I was obsessed, so go back and hear my words. I am obsessed that we will be the best church we can possibly be. And we want to be good at commending. I want good fathers, good husbands, good wives, children, masters, servants, and everyone in here, especially brethren in the church. 
It's ignorance, false humility, or self-righteousness, or some other problem that dislikes hearing faithful saints praised. Why does that bother you, to hear a faithful saint praised? It is God's grace that makes them what they are, but they also labor abundantly. As 1 Corinthians 15.10 tells us both sides of that coin. Jesus has brothers and sisters that are joint heirs. And he is not ashamed of them. Why are you? Where would the world be right now? And where would the paparazzi of this world be if they knew we were the sons of God? There wouldn't be one square foot out there that wasn't occupied by someone with a camera or a microphone. We are the sons of God. And when a son of God performs well, he should be commended like Phoebe did. This chapter, Romans 16, should shut the mouths of those that think Jesus is the only name to be named. Because aren't there quite a few names in Romans 16? You say you're saying things so strongly. Am I saying it that strongly? Jesus is not the only name that is to be named. There's lots of other names to be named. Like Gaius and Philemon. Isn't it something that Philemon has a whole book about himself and really there's nothing there except Paul's friendship with Philemon? and wanting to send a runaway slave back to him? And it makes it to the cutoff of 27 books of the Bible? Of the New Testament, I mean. 27 books of the New Testament. There's no traction. There's no detraction from Christ's glory by praising His grace in the zeal of His best children. He's excited about them. We should be. You know, a person that can only say, Jesus gets all the praise. Jesus gets all the praise. That's distorted. That is not real Bible Christianity. Jesus doesn't get all the praise. Men get some praise. Right. You say, are you going to show us some verses where men praise men in the Bible? and are comm- Oh yes, of course. Jesus is to have the preeminence, but wise saints know that that does not exclude commending men. A person that can only say, Jesus is the only one to follow. That's distorted from real Christianity. The Apostle Paul said repeatedly, follow me as I follow Christ. That's why there were some of our brethren in the past that were called Paulicans, Paulines, because they were following the Apostle Paul as he followed Christ. Jesus was a Jew to the Jews. The Apostle Paul was a Jew to the Gentiles. And he showed Gentiles how they ought to follow Christ and we ought to follow him. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, Mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Our young brother Colin referred to that when he was up here giving thanks to God. That is a real verse in the Bible. Mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example to follow. See, there's men that should be followed. They should be identified, named, and pointed out so that other believers can follow them because they are giving a living example of what it is like to be a Christian. We don't have the Apostle Paul anymore. We wish we had the Apostle Paul, but we can be like the Apostle Paul by pattering our lives after what the Bible describes about Paul's life. And men that do that are supposed to be marked, noted, and followed. The word command means to present as worthy of favorable acceptance, favorable regard, consideration, attention, or notice. To direct attention to someone that they are worthy of notice or regard, to recommend them. To praise someone is to to tell, proclaim, or commend the worth, excellence, or merits of that person, to express warm approbation or approval of, to speak highly of them, to laud and extol them. Let's look at some examples. Does the Holy Spirit of God say that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth? 
Is that carnal for the Holy Spirit to say that? Should there be an asterisk that says, but Jesus will be meeker? Jesus was still 1,500 years away. And He's commended by the Holy Ghost because it's part of the narrative. And it's in parentheses and it says, now Moses was the meekest man in the face of the earth. We love that little expression, don't we? We know how much Korah hurt him because he was the meekest man in the face of the earth. Did Moses ever want to be a leader of the children of Israel? Not on your life. (laughs) Not on his life. The Lord had to threaten his life before he took the job. Tried to kill him three times. And argued with him three times and tried to kill him once. You say, if the Lord tries to kill someone, he's going to work. It's going to work, isn't it? Well, that's just to tell you that Moses thought he was going to die. Until he repented and said, okay, I'll go, but I can't talk, so Aaron's going to have to do it for me. Because he was a meek man. Does that bother you? Does anyone have the hackles in the back of their neck being raised? Because Moses was the meekest man in the face of the earth. Why did the Holy Spirit have to tell us something like that about Moses? Wasn't that just going to puff him up in pride? Forgive my tone. Just think. Don't we love that little expression about Moses? Doesn't that help you love Moses? Do you like Jeremiah 15.1 and Ezekiel 14.14 where God says He has five favorites? Five favorites. Can you help me? Or do we need to look them up? Noah. Job. Samuel. Daniel. We've all heard all of those. Let's go to Jeremiah 15. I'm confused now. You rep- <laughs> Jeremiah 15.1. Hearing so many repetitions. Jeremiah 15.1. We'll get a few of them here and we'll have to go to Ezekiel for the others. Moses and Samuel. I think we left out Moses. Are there in Jeremiah 15.1 and Ezekiel 14.14? 14, 14. Are the other three? Ezekiel 14.14. 14. Noah, Daniel, and Job. There's the five. They're mentioned in the Bible as God's favorites. That they, by their praying and their righteous lives, could save more men than anyone else. And his, his point there was that if all five of them were praying for you people, it wouldn't do any good because it's too late. I'm going to judge Judah. But they're mentioned as his five favorites. Right. And they're shown there. Did Jesus have three favorites above the other nine? You know, there were twelve. Did he have three favorites above the other nine? Yes. Is it repeated through the Gospels? Right. Do you know their names? Peter, James, and John. Now let's hold on. Did Jesus have a favorite of one of those three over the other two? Yes. What was his name? John. Did John get to write about the fact that he was the favorite over the two and the three of them were the favorite over the twelve? Did, did John write about that? Did John write about himself as the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved? As the disciple who got to lay on Jesus' bosom at supper? Does that bother anyone here? He said, I just don't think it's fair. I think it would puff John up. Did it puff John up? Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. We want to be as perfect of Christians as we can be for the Lord's sake. Not for our sake. We're nothing. You have the least of all men as your pastor. We're living in the worst times that the world's ever had as far as this country's concerned. 2014, we're in the perilous times and we want to be the best that we can be. The last verse of the book of Proverbs, which is the last verse of the exhortation and, and lesson that King Lemuel's mother gave to him about the kind of woman he should marry. And this is what he, she told him that he ought to do once he found her and married her. 
Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. I thought a woman was supposed to be meek and quiet. I thought a woman was supposed to be shamefaced. Is there a place for a husband to arrange circumstances and matters so that his wife gets some legitimate commendation and praise for what kind of a wife she is? Well, I'll let you answer that with the Bible. Yes, it's right there. That's praise for a woman who's supposed to be in submission and reverence her husband. But a good man arranges circumstances so his wife gets some honor for all the things that she is doing to build his estate. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Brethren, if you want to live by every word of God, then you want to hang around with me for a few more minutes. Because we're going to let the Word of God teach us that we need to learn how to commend, like Paul commended Phoebe, and then went on to list a whole string of people that he commended and praised, that everyone could hear. They heard it in their own church, read from the Word of God, their names. If you think about the ramifications of it, it's enormous. Second Corinthians chapter 8, chapters 8 and 9 of this particular epistle, Second Corinthians, is Paul's Detailed description of taking a gift from the Gentiles of money to the Jews in Jerusalem. But now he starts to mention to these Corinthians so that they would trust turning over thousands of dollars to Paul's messengers. He describes some of them. Here's how he described them. Verse 18. We have sent with him, Titus is coming. We have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. There was some brother. I don't even want to get off track right now by telling you who it might be. There's a brother that the Apostle Paul wrote that has been read for 2,000 years whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. All the churches knew about some man who was praised as being incredibly faithful that the Corinthians could trust turning over their money to him. Did this man get puffed up? Was Paul in the flesh? My two questions for you. Did it ruin the man? Would that kind of praise from the Apostle Paul ruin you or provoke you? There's two kinds of men in the world. There are the men that get a raise and they back off. And there are the men that get a raise and work harder. And the difference in character makes the difference in success or failure. It's amazing how some people will take a compliment and relax, and others will take a compliment and only drives them to do more. And that's what we want to be. And that's why it's provoking. And we want to learn to provoke one another by commending and praising one another. But I love this little expression here in 2 Corinthians 8.18. Does the Bible talk about praising men? Well, all the churches of the New Testament, when they were full of the Holy Ghost, praised certain men. And this particular man got some praise. But let's go to verse 22. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Here's a brother that has been often proved diligent in many things. And that's being told to all the churches of the New Testament and to all the churches and believers for 2,000 years since. How about verse 23? Whether any do inquire of Titus, if anybody asks you about Titus, here's what I have to say. He is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. 
Or if they ask any questions about our brethren, if they be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wait a minute. You think I'm saying some strong things? These men are the glory of Christ. Christ sees them as glorious. They are the glory of Christ. Christ's work in their lives has made them glorious. Christ considers them glorious. They are the glories of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Their faithfulness. This is the Apostle Paul on the defensive because he always had to be on the defensive with the Corinthian church. But on the defensive with them, if he said, if you get asked any questions about Titus, you just tell them, he is my partner and fellow helper. If you get asked about these other men, they are the glory of Christ. Oh, that's high. That's just wonderful. That's just wonderful. Look at Philippians chapter 2. I commend unto you Phoebe. It's not in Philippians 2. I'm just reminding you of what words we're trying to expand upon. Philippians chapter 2. Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, we want to be the best church that we can possibly be for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the firstborn in this church. He is the preeminent one in this church. He is the only apostle and high priest of this church. He is the foundation and the headstone of this church. He is all in all to us. But Lord, help us to love one another and to commend and to praise one another and to encourage each other in the Lord that we might be the best church that we can be. And we see the Apostle Paul doing this in Romans 16. Help us to do it. Look at the example of Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 19 where the Apostle Paul addresses the church at Philippi, Macedonia, Greece about his son Timothy. Philippians 2.19 But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Look at the high praise that Paul had for Timothy. I have no man like-minded. Do you think that there were other people that had their feelings hurt? That's okay. They should have worked a little harder. They should have been a little more faithful. They should have loved the things of Christ a little bit more than the things of the world. There's always a difference. There's no two believers that are identically alike. There's Paul at the top, and there's Lot and Samson and Solomon at the bottom. Or who, Demas, or whoever else, else you want to pick on. Look at this. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. All seek. Now wait a minute, Paul. Is it true to say all seek their own? Well, in this particular context, it was all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him. He's like my son as a son to the father in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, what an example. Should those people be hurt? They should just be provoked to do better. Should you correct Paul for hurting them? I think not. Was Paul partial? Yeah, he was. He was partial to spiritually minded, diligent zealots. Did he tell all of his ministers to be partial like that? Yes. Titus chapter 1 and verse 8, to be lovers of good men. Uh Uh-oh, I thought there was only one good, God. Who do I love then? I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be a lover of good men. 
I thought that there was only one good, God. Are you bothered? Is God good in a whole different sense than a good man? Can men be called good in the Bible? Are they called good over ten times? The good man? He was a good man? Yes, and I'm supposed to be a lover of good men. Love Timothy and thank God for him when you read a description like that. Is anyone envious? We shouldn't be envious except to the point that Paul says envy and coveting is good in that we want to be like Timothy. Right. We want to care for the things of the kingdom of heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.2. 1 Corinthians 11.2. We want to learn to commend better. We want to understand commending in the, in the context of our brethren. We want to be better fathers and husbands. We want to be better masters and neighbors. We just want to, we want to be able to be like the Apostle Paul who was able from a distance without seeing their faces. He wasn't in a pulpit looking out trying to think of somebody to say something nice to. He was sitting there and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this long list of names that he praised and he expressed his affection to publicly. And we should be willing and able to accept that. First Corinthians 11.2, Now I praise you, brethren. Now that's the Apostle Paul praising a whole church. If you keep reading this chapter, he's going to praise them not in two different things. But here he praises them. Look at First Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians 4. Now Paul's going to get pretty high on this one, and I hope you're ready for it. Can a man be so diligent and faithful that God should praise him? Or does a diligent and faithful man only praise God? Or do, are both true? 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. The praise of God. Does the Bible say there is only one good, and that is God? Does the Bible say that? Who said those words? The Lord Jesus Christ. Does everyone that gets a little nervous about calling a man good, do they want to hear these words? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now I want to know who in here is going to tell the Lord to be quiet. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There is going to be praise coming from the Lord Jesus Christ to His good and faithful brethren. Rejoice in it. Let's, let's be thankful for what we're finding in this second word of Romans chapter 16. And let us show it in the church. Let us show it in our families. Let us show it in our marriages. Let us show it in the workplace. Let's be commending where commendation is deserved. Let's be praising where there's praiseworthy actions done. You know there are limitations. You must not love getting man's praise more than God's praise. There were Pharisees that felt that way in John chapter 12, and they would not confess the Lord Jesus Christ openly. We are nothing like them. When you work for your earthly boss, you do it as unto Christ. But you're not a man pleaser, are you? Because you're first of all a God pleaser. Because you're supposed to work as unto the Lord with a single heart and a single mind as unto Christ. When you go to work, it is to work for Christ. But does that mean that when we're not supposed to be a man pleaser, when the Lord in Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 8 is teaching us to put the Lord as our motivation on the job first, does that mean we shouldn't work to please our boss? Exhort servants 
to please their own masters well in all things. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We want the balance, remember? We don't want a ditch on either side. We want the crown of the road. So I want us to be better than we have been. Let another man's mouth praise you and not your own. Proverbs 27, 2. Stop talking about yourself. Flattery is sin, so we don't want to go there. It should not mean anything to you when someone flatters you, and you shouldn't give flattery. The way you respond to praise shows your character. It should motivate you to be better. It should humble you. You shouldn't ask for it to be repeated. You shouldn't ask for someone to put it in writing. Could you record that, please? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 21, the way you respond to praise shows your character. Rather than get envious when someone else is praised, do you know what? You should jump up and say, I second the motion. Why would you ever sit there and be envious? How black can a heart get? When someone's praised for doing something good, rejoice. When you read Paul's praise of Timothy, thank you, Lord, that the Lord Jesus Christ raised up a young man found in Derby and Lystra, Acts chapter 16, who was faithful. Lord, give us some faithful men like Timothy today. We're thankful for reading about Timothy. Give us some more like him. If you want to be like Paul in following Jesus Christ, then you need to learn to commend and praise others. If you're a parent, do you praise your children for the good things they do? Do you do it often? Do you do it fervently? I have to preach to 14 children. None of you have to face that. Do you praise and commend your children? If you're a parent, parents, it must be done privately and publicly or it sounds self-serving, or it indicates shame. If you only praise your children privately, then that's because you're ashamed of them in public. If you only praise your children publicly, then you're just serving yourself. That's self-serving. You're trying to look like a good dad. The opposite of provoking children to wrath and discouraging them is, guess what? Praising and encouraging them. That's the opposite. Lord, help us to be fathers like that. Help us to be mothers like that. If you're a spouse, do you praise your spouse for the things he or she does well in his or her role? Do you praise and commend? Thank you for doing that. You're good at that. Romans 16, I commend. Oh, Lord, I thought I'd get farther, even if I did believe that every word of God was important. But I couldn't get past the commend. I don't want anyone in here to resent that, to dislike it. And everyone ought to be doing it when the case calls for it. We shouldn't be digging deep, too deep, to find things that don't really justify commendation or praise. But, oh, a word to the weary can lift up a heart and a soul and propel them to greater efforts. If you're a child, do you praise your parents and commend them for things they have done and are doing for you? Remember, if you only do it in public, we know why you're doing it for yourself. So it's got to be done in both places. If it's done in both places, then God sees it as sincere and your parents see it as sincere. If you're a master or a supervisor, do you praise those working for you and commend them? Can you light them up to want to work harder for you by commending them? That was a good job. Thank you. Excellent. Great idea. Wow, you're fast. When was the last time you told a waitress that? 
When did her tip exceed 20%? Do you commend? If you're an older youth in our church, you're older than 18, and we have a youth group that extends from the age of 13, then take the time to notice some good things and praise the younger youth. Let it flow downward. I don't want to hear about the 13-year-olds praising the 18-year-olds, except once in a while, and that should be done in private. It shouldn't be done in public. It comes off as self-serving. But you older young people, you young married couples, can you look down at some of the younger married couples that are younger than you and praise them and commend them for the good things they are doing? Can we be a better church? I'm on one word, commend. Can we lift each other up and provoke each other to love and to good works? You know, we can provoke each other to love and to good works by sending Bible verses. Oh. We can provoke each other to love and good works by warning each other. God's going to judge you. I'm trying to come clean before the Lord. Will you try to come clean with me? Amen. I'm the most negative person in the history of the world. I can see more problems with your suggestions, your ideas, or anything you do faster than anyone else in here. In the bank, I had a nickname of Little Hitler for a reason. So if this just turns into a testimony, then thank God for the testimony. But if you can commend and praise a little bit better, I want you to be like Paul. I'm just so worked up about Romans 16, I can't get past Phoebe. He pulls this woman out of nowhere. No one would know a thing about Phoebe if it wasn't for Romans 16.1. She, she is just put up there. Look at this great woman. I commend this great woman to you. She has helped so many. She's helped me. When she gets to Rome, give her anything she wants. Who in the church deserves your commendation or praise that you should give them before this sun sets? Rather than backbiting or whispering like most churches do, you know, they're specialists in backbiting. Let's be specialists like I've taught you before in back kissing. When someone's not around, let's tell all the good things about them. Is it right to want to earn the praise of men? Is it right to want to earn the praise of men? Proverbs 22.1. Proverbs 22.1 has a fraternal twin in Ecclesiastes 7.1. But let's go to Proverbs 22.1. What does that verse say? Oh, brethren, let's forget ourselves. Let's look at others. Let's esteem others. Have we already learned this in Romans, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10? Are we supposed to esteem others and in honor prefer one another over ourselves? Well, that means we're looking around. That is a great job and commend someone. I just admire this about you. Keep up the good work. I want this church to embrace each other and love each other and to be the body that Jesus Christ deserves. And he's showing us by the man that knew Christ the best that he knew how to pour out the praise and pour out the affection in public. And you know it was sincere when it came from Paul by the Spirit. He did it in private as well. No wonder those people like Aquila and Priscilla would follow him wherever he went and do anything they could for him. They would lay down their own necks for him. Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You are going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to work hard for money. But do you know what's more important? A good name. What is a good name? Your reputation. 
Yes, for you to have a reputation where others think highly of you is something that you are to aim for. It is a choice that you are to make in how you make your choices in life. Second half of the verse, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. There's an ellipsis there, which means that there are missing words. That's a figure of speech where words are missing by intent of the author. And the author is the Holy Ghost. And loving favor is rather to be chosen than silver and gold. It is more important for you to choose to conduct your life in such a way that it results in other people loving you and granting you favors. That is the Word of God. That is growing in favor with God and men. That's 1 Samuel 2.26 about Samuel. That's Luke 2.52 about Jesus Christ. And that is Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 4 as to why the book of Proverbs was written. You should conduct your life in such a way to have a good reputation and for others to love you and show you favor. The Bible says that we should have an honest report of them that are without. God cares what worldlings think of you. No man can get in the ministry unless he has a good report of them that are without. You're not a good Christian. You're not a sanctified Christian. You're not a holy Christian unless those outside the church think highly of you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 describe that. Yes, it's right for us to desire that. Lord, help us to that end. Is it ever right to commend or praise yourself? This would take the point to the obvious extreme. Is it ever right to commend or praise yourself? When you're forced into such a situation, it is acceptable. Who did it in the Bible the most? Paul, who was second. David, the best of God's favorites from the two Testaments. Paul had to do it because the Corinthians were attacking him. So he was able to explain, I labored more abundantly than they all. In everything, I have outdone every one of you at Corinth. I love 2 Corinthians 12. It's my favorite. Let us come to visions and revelations. You Corinthian charismatics think that you've had a vision or something recently, and so you want to get up and pop off about it in church. Let's come to visions and revelations. Paul says, I knew a man in Christ once that was received up into the third heaven. Yeah. He cut them all off at the pass right there. I love the Apostle Paul. He says, you have forced me to boast. You forced me to become a fool in boasting. But boy, when Paul was forced to boast, he could boast. And you know why he could boast? Because he had a resume worthy of it. And so if you're ever going to open your mouth to say one single thing about you, here's the rule. It has to be absolutely true and obvious to every single person in your hearing or there can be a testimony about your life. It has to be such a given that everybody doesn't even hear it as boasting because you're just describing a fact that they already know about you. Remember what he said about Timothy? You already know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he has conducted himself the way that I am describing. What if it sounds like flattery sometimes? Sometimes it'll sound like flattery. Did David eulogize King Saul? Does it sound like flattery? Was it? Was David being merciful? Did God bless David for that? Hear the ring of these words. The Lord hath forgiven thee. How did David get to hear those words after aggravated adultery and murder? The Lord hath forgiven thee. 
Because as David says in Psalm 18, verses 19 through 26, he is merciful to the merciful, and David was merciful. David was blessed by God because David kept God's commandments. And David wrote that about himself. And there is nothing wrong in saying that when it is absolutely true and understood by everyone around him. It was a couple years ago when I preached to you about David's eulogy of Saul. And it was so convicting, and I hope it was convicting to all of you. A minister at times has to magnify his office. And so David did that. Paul did that, and others have done that. You know, there's two commandments, brethren, for us to please the Lord. The love of God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the love of one another as our own selves. Romans 16 shows us one way that we can love the brethren. To publicly love and praise them, to privately love and praise them. For this epistle was read to all believers, with many hearing their names and Paul's love or praise of them. It's a wonderful example to all of us. The best Christians... And the best churches provoke one another to love and to good works. Hebrews 10.24 tells us that. This is a way in which we can provoke one another to love and to good works by commendation and praise where it belongs. Let's be a more commending church. So Romans 16.1, I commend. The Apostle Paul names names, many names, affection, praise for their faithfulness, their service, tells the church to receive them as becometh saints and to assist them in anything they have need of. It's a wonderful example for us. Every father in here, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. One way you can avoid that is to commend and to praise them. Those little guys that copy their daddy, when daddy sits in church and he crosses his leg, the little tyke crosses his leg. When daddy uncrosses his leg, the little tyke, who has several leg muscles cramping, trying to be like daddy, uncrosses his leg. Do you know what a good word from daddy means to him? It means that an angel was sent from heaven and stood in his bedroom and said from God, I love you. There's men in this church that have hardly ever heard or never heard their father say that they loved him, that they had done a good job, that he was proud of them, that he was thankful for them, that he commended them, that father never opened his mouth and commended them in public. Can we be better than all that? Has the Lord Jesus Christ loved us enough that we can reach higher than that and do better than that? toward each other, toward our spouses, toward our children, toward our parents. Let's all love each other and embrace each other and encourage each other in the Lord. Let's never have a negative thing to say unless it is severely called for. Let's commend. Were there problems with Phoebe? Were Aquila and Priscilla sinners? Were the rest of those in the list sinners? Did Paul overlook that for the sake of a commendation? Was King Saul a sinner? Was there really anything good in King Saul's life? No. I'll answer it for you. But you know what? He was king. So David commended him. I hope that this will just add one little thing more that we can do better so that Jesus Christ loves how his brethren treat each other. Because he laid down his life for us. 
can we show some kindness toward one another. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word from Romans 16. Amen.